I want you to think back to the first Christmas Eve. Now, you didn't know it was Christmas Eve, but suppose you're a shepherd out there in those fields. It's dark. It's ridiculously dark. It's a little bit scary anyway because there are animals out there who want to eat your sheep, your job, and you for that matter. And all of a sudden, a bright light appears in the sky like you've never ever seen before, like has never ever been before, one that you cannot imagine anyway. And here's what the Bible says. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. That's, that, to me, that's not strong enough. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's not God's word. It absolutely is. But the people who interpreted the English, they were scared to death. Good grief, this bright light and an angels up in the sky. And what the angel said, first thing is, don't be afraid. It says fear not, but you and I would, know, would not say that. We'd say, don't be afraid. Don't worry about it. Now I ask you, what are you afraid of? Now, I know as men, we're supposed to say nothing. I'm not afraid of anything. Yes, I am. And, and the reason that I know that we are afraid is because in the Bible, over 600 times it says, don't be afraid. It talks about fear. So it's got to be there for some reason. God just didn't say, let's put a bunch of words on a bunch of pieces of paper, and the people will read it, and they'll know that it's my word. No, it had to mean something And it means something to us because it matters to us. I had a dream several weeks ago. Uh, Michael Bowers was in the dream. I wasn't afraid of him. But uh, I I was in a hallway, and I remember the hall, it was painted green, and it was those, you know, typical government-looking building where it was just cement block. Had some doors there. There were people walking around, And the people began to walk through the walls. The people that were standing on the walls would fall over into the wall. And that just scared me. I don't know why. It just did. Michael Bowers came in and he said to a little boy, he said, did you do this? The little boy said, yes. And I woke up and I'm shaking like a leaf. I have no idea why. It didn't mean a thing in the world. I still haven't figured out that one out. I can usually figure out that I'm thinking about something, but... That one just didn't make any sense to me, but it did scare me, really scared me. There were many times in the Bible where Jesus said over and over, don't be afraid, many times. And if you have your Bible, you may want to turn to John chapter 6, verse 16 in that area. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Frightened? Nothing. They were scared to death. Now, these people, first of all, the the Hebrew people didn't like the ocean. They weren't in the ocean, actually. They were in a, a huge lake, but it was big enough. And there's lightning, there's thunder, there's waves, and their boat is beginning to to fill. And you can see them, hurry up, get the water out of here, paddle faster. It had to be a small boat because they were rowing the boat. And so these people are scared. And then to top it all off, 
here comes somebody. It's Jesus. He's walking on the water. That would make me even more afraid. And Jesus says in verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, I am no scholar. I took Greek years and years and years ago. I still remember that I took it. And, but I believe without any doubt that Jesus did not say, it is I. He said, it's me. Don't worry about it. It's just me. You know, when you scare somebody by mistake and you say, oh, come on, it's just me. Don't worry about it. I believe, I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus always spoke to people in a language and in a way that they could understand. And he's just saying, it's me, guys. Come on, don't worry about it. It's just me. Now, these were the disciples and people had been around Jesus for months and weeks and years. And they had seen him perform miracles. There was water to wine. He fed 5,000 people. He even healed people from sicknesses and, and even brought back a little girl from the dead. He had talked about God's kingdom, so they knew who this was, but for some reason, they're scared to death. I don't blame them. I would have been too. But he says, don't worry. It's just me. And they're thinking in the back of their mind, but he's walking on water. Who is this? What can he do? And Jesus says, it's me the God of the universe. I put this place together. I made this water. I can control this wind. I can control the lightning and the storm. I can calm things down. It's me. Why are you worried now? Now think forward. Jesus has died. He's dead. There are so many people that invested so much of their lives in him, and he is dead. He healed sick people. He brought people back from the dead, and he is dead. They had to be afraid. Because understand, they just didn't go to church on Sunday and read about him and sing about him and other kinds of things and, and believe in him. They invested their lives in him as members of the synagogue if there was a baker and he says, you know what, I'm going to become a believer. I'm going to believe Jesus. You're out of the synagogue. That means nobody buys bread from you. There goes your income. Or you're a person who dyes clothes or dyes cloth and makes clothing to wear. I'm not buying from you. You're one of those nut job Christians. And so their income goes away. I've invested all of my life in him, my income, my family, and in some cases, even family shunned other family members. When I was growing up, there was a friend of mine uh, whose father was a Jew. He became a Christian, a believer. And his family, once they learned about that, his family sent flowers to his wife to say, this man is dead to us. He gave up his family to be a follower of Jesus, and so did these people, but now Jesus is dead. 
how do we reconcile that? What are we going to do? What about our future? And you'll remember the story, Matthew 28, 5. But the angel said to the women who'd gone to the grave, don't be afraid. The first thing she said is, don't be afraid. Are you kidding me? Don't be afraid. This man that we had given our life to is dead. What are we going to do? And you're telling me, but this is the first thing they said. It's important. First thing he said, don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Don't be afraid. They could not see the end yet. You and I know the end story. We've got the end game here. We know what happened. They didn't. They didn't have a Bible. They did not have communication like we think of. And so many things that would have been so unclear to them. But the first words, don't be afraid. Jesus' first words to the disciples, don't be afraid. Some of you know that uh, Karen and, our, and myself and our family lived in Virginia for a while. We lived near Petersburg, Virginia, which I, I, I'm a person who likes history. I just like historical things. It's just fascinating to me. That was a fascinating town. You can still see where during the Civil War, some of the buildings have uh, gunshot holes in the wall or maybe where a bomb had hit and maybe not exploded but knocked a hole in the wall. You can read, well, this is where Lee went to worship while he was living here. The church is still there. There's still a hole in the ground where the north tried to tunnel underneath uh, where the south southern lines were and try to blow a big hole in the ground, which, would, which they did. The hole is still there. It's a fascinating place to me. During that time where all of this was happening, Petersburg, Virginia, about three and a half, four hours from here, was under siege. Now, what that means is that the north had, not fully, but pretty much surrounded the area. They weren't letting in any food, ammunition, anything that they needed. And so the people began to have less and less and less. Now, for some reason, the, the north either couldn't or wouldn't completely attack and, and end the war right there. But the siege for nine months continued. The people had less and less. They used to have what they called starvation balls, you know, where they would dress up real fancy and, and dance around and play music. They had no food. It's even said that dogs and cats disappeared during that time. There was nothing to eat. They were under siege. Well, that, that same thing happened to the people of Israel in Samaria. They were under siege. There was a king there. The king of Israel, he was on the hot seat. But they were under siege. And things were so bad that the people began to have to pay ridiculous amounts of money for even something like a donkey's head to eat. They had nothing to eat. They began to eat even what was left over in the waste of animals. And worse, they resorted to cannibalism. Now the king, he's the guy that's in charge of all of this stuff. And they began to complain to him. And he, he's got to find somebody to blame because it's certainly not his fault. And he says, well, I know who's causing all these problems. All these problems. It's Elisha. Now, Elisha was a prophet. If you want to read some really cool stories in the Bible, go to 2 Kings and, and just start reading there. Amazing things happened with this prophet. 
But he's around during this time, and he's just kind of minding his own business. And all of a sudden, the king one day says, bring me Elisha, because this is his fault. And I'm going to take care of this. And he begins, begins to blame Elisha for all the problems that they were having. And so in 2 Kings chapter uh, 7, Elisha answers the king when he says, it's all your fault. He says, but Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord, thus says the Lord. Now, this is so important. This is the God of the universe saying, listen to this. Not only does he say it one time, he says, listen to me, listen to me. This is so important. You've got to understand this. Now, that is a clue for you and me, too. Because when God's word, and that's enough, ought to be enough, says you better listen to this part, then you and I had better understand what's happening here. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the word of the Lord. Tomorrow, the next day, tomorrow, a sea of flour, which is about seven quarts from what I understand, will be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, the gate was where all of the, or a lot of the commerce took place, and so people would be buying and selling things. But what he was saying is, yes, you're under siege right now. You have nothing to eat, but the prophet of God says that God says, tomorrow it's going to be all over with. And there's going to be a lot of food. You're going to have everything you need. And there was a man standing next to the, the captain, or the, the, the king's captain, and he said, if the Lord himself should make the windows in heaven, could this thing be? In other words, I don't believe this. Now, you've been in trouble sometimes where you think this is not going to be good. This is going to take a long time to go over, to get over with. And God is saying, yes, you're in trouble. Yes, you're starving to death. Tomorrow, it's going to be fixed. It's going to be all over with. And so... Isaiah says, or I'm sorry, not Isaiah, but Elisha says to the man, he says, you know what? It's going to happen, but you're not going to know about it. You're not going to eat from it. You're not going to benefit from it. Now, these people are afraid. They are dying. They are going to die of starvation, or they are going to be killed. One of the two. There's only two choices. There's nobody coming to the rescue. There's no cavalry. They haven't called the United Nations and some troops are going to come over and help them out. They're just done for. They're dead. But God is not doing nothing. And here's what happened that night in verse 3. There were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Stop right there for just a second. Four men, they're lepers. That means nobody liked them. Nobody wanted to be around them. They have to used to scream unclean, unclean. In other words, get away from me. I have leprosy. They weren't allowed to be in the city gates, which means they didn't often get food. They were used to starvation. They had to live outside the city where the bad guys and the bad animals roamed and bad things happened. Nobody cared about these people. They were the lowest of the low, as were the shepherds. People did not like shepherds. They were considered to be stupid, ignorant people, somewhat worthless. All they could do is take care of sheep. How much brains do you have to have in order to be a sheep keeper? Leopards weren't allowed to go into the city. They lived outside of the wall. Nobody wanted them. And it says here in verse 3, continuing, they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let's enter the city, the famine's in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. 
So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we live. And if they kill us, we're only going to die. They're saying, we're dead either way. What difference does it make? We're going to starve outside the city walls. If we go inside the city walls, not only do they not like us, they, we have leprosy. We're considered to be sinners. We're going to die in there because they're dying in there. So let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. Maybe they'll give us something to eat, or maybe we can rummage through their garbage and at least get something to eat. And if they kill us, you know what? We're dead anyway. We are dead men. We have no hope. Verse 5, So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Now I can see them in my movie brain sneaking up on the camp peeking over the edge, hiding behind rocks, and just looking over to see what in the world is going on and can we benefit from this. And once again, God chooses the lowest of the low to announce good news to the rest of the world. They're outcasts in society. They're just like the shepherds, and God is starting with them. And the Bible says this, but when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, there's nobody there. It was deserted. This army made up of bad guys, not afraid to be in battle, not afraid of death, and yet they're gone. And why did that happen? Here's how it happened. Verse 6, for the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear. That's all. Just, they just heard the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army. God did not send any help for those people. He didn't send a bunch of bad guys from somewhere else who had bigger and stronger and meaner people to beat them to stuffings. They just heard the sound of an army, and they ran. No army. They just heard the army. The Bible says, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites, the kings of Egypt, to come against us. They ran, leaving everything. Everything. Verse 7, they fled away in the twilight, and they abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, and they ate, and they drank. This was Christmas. No, it wasn't Christmas. They didn't know about Christmas yet. This was Christmas morning to them. All they could eat, all they could drink, all they could have. They began to take stuff and hide it away because Tuesday I'm going to need to eat again, and I'm going to take this because another day I'm going to be hungry again. And then one of them, one of them, stopped and said, wait a minute. This isn't right. Those people back in the village, I know they don't like us, but they're dying too. They're starving to death just like we were. And we wanted to... Or somebody to give us food. So why can't we tell them. Then verse 16. They went and told the people. It says. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So that a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel. Two seas of barley for a shekel. Just like God said. And look it says in that last line there. According to the word of the Lord. It was an I told you so. Because the day before, Elisha had said, tomorrow it's going to be just like this. And tomorrow it was just like this. It was all over. 
immediately. God said the whole time, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But do you understand that last sentence there? Because that is so important. It says, according to the word of the Lord, that's what makes the difference. It's what God says is what matters. Now, here's the word of the Lord, Psalm 27. David, another person who's being chased by people who want to kill him, and even though he has an army with him, there's a bigger army after him, and he writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation Whom shall I fear? In other words, I'm not going to be afraid. And in verse 3, he says, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Just like the people who had the Syrians encamped against them, he says, I'm not going to be afraid because God is in control. What are you afraid of? God said, don't be afraid. This is not just a story from thousands and thousands of years ago. This is God knowing that on December 3rd, 2017, you're going to be sitting in this room. And there's going to be a fear that you have. And God is saying to you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, let me tell you about one of the toughest things about doing this job. It's not standing in front of you. That doesn't bother me. The toughest thing is that something that I say or that I will do, you will think, this does not apply to me. Because, Bob, did you know that at this time, God didn't come through for me? God didn't come through when that person in my life was sick and died, or was sick and is still suffering. Bob, he didn't come through. Or that relationship that I had, that went bad, and then it went worse, and it's even still bad. God hasn't come through for me. Or what about that financial situation where I need this and I don't have this and God hasn't supplied it? Don't tell me don't be afraid. The hardest part of this, why don't we get this? I include me. Why don't we get that angels sent from God, Jesus, God's Son, and God Himself, the maker, sustainer of this world and this universe, walks on water, raises the dead, feeds 5,000, says, don't be afraid, and yet we miss that. We're still afraid. There's still something out there. Here's all I know. When God's people faced that situation, He said, listen to me. Here's the other part. This is not finished yet. It's not finished. This isn't the last story. History does not begin and end with you anyway. And God is not finished. It may could could well be that in heaven, God is going to explain to you what has happened. And my guess is... My guess is God has saved us from so much, so much, much more that you and I don't even know was out there, and yet God has protected us, and we're going to learn that one day. I have no doubt about that in my life. God can work in any circumstance, and sometimes that circumstance might not be a happy one. I am so sorry to tell you that. It may not be happy, but this is not finished. You are not finished. God's work is not finished. We have been reading in the book of Philippians, and in Philippians 4, 6, it starts out, Don't be anxious about anything. 
Jesus says, don't be afraid. In John chapter 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. He's saying, don't be afraid. You believe in God. You know him. You know me. And I'm telling you, don't be afraid. And then later on, he says in that same area, he tells us why we don't have to be afraid. Chapter 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nothing else matters. Nothing. Absolutely nothing matters. There are some important things. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But nothing matters except your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Now listen very carefully for these next several seconds. We're almost done. But here's where I can get in big, big trouble. And I want you to hear me very plainly. For some of you that are here today and you're not a believer, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, this is not for you. These assurances are not yours. But they can easily be yours. In a split second, you can have the courage and the faith of a believer. You can know that Jesus said to you, don't be afraid. I've got it. And the way that we know that is through asking him to be our Lord and our Savior, to give up all of those things that we said, well, I'm going to be smart, I'm going to have a lot of money, I'm going to have a great family, I'm going to have a great job, I'm going to do all these wonderful things, and because I haven't done a lot of bad, then God's going to take me to heaven. No, it's not true. The only thing that matters is you know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And the Bible says, here's what the Bible says, be afraid. Be afraid of those that have the power to cast you into hell. God has overcome that also. Let's pray together.